Hey everyone, my name is Ajay Tucker, host of the Ajay Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is Ajay Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. It's Monday right now, so happy happy Labor Day to all of you guys. If you're or happy belated Labor Day, because you probably are a day ahead of me when you're gonna listen to this podcast, but still churning out content, still doing my podcast. Um, there's been a little news, a little bit of tennis news that we can get into for today. But in terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can obviously discuss Lil Nas X expecting a baby due September 17th. Uh, Joe Rogan getting COVID and saying ivermectin cured it. We can also discuss Candace Owens not getting a COVID test, as well as Daniil Medvedev speaking up for players who want to come out. Uh, but in terms of news uh, within the tennis world, we can obviously get into Naomi Osaka saying that she'll take a break from tennis after Friday's loss, as well as Francis Tiafu versus Ogier Aliassime that happened yesterday on Sunday. But where we'll start off for today is going to be quite simple. It's going to be the Friday match, one of the best ten- tennis matches of the year so far. I'm pretty sure you can get an understanding as to what I'm referring to. Stefano Tsitsipas facing off against Carlos Alcaraz. So if you guys don't know, Carlos Alcaraz beat Stefano Tsitsipas 6-3-4-6-7-6-love-6-7-6. And in short, this was one of, as I've said, one of the best tennis matches of the year. Hats off to Carl, Carlos Alcaraz and Stefano Tsitsipas for having one of the best matches ever. I think this was a dual effort between the two of them. And I, I, this really showcased the future of tennis. And when I say future, I don't mean Sasha Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas. I don't mean that group. I mean the people that are younger than that. People that have just broken out on the circuit. And I include Carlos Alcaraz in that discussion because Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz is only 18 years old. And... By the way, like I'll break down the minutia of it all, and I'll I'll break it down into key details. But just know that Carlos Alcaraz had one of the best matches of his life, if not the best match of his life so far. And this is how Stefano Tsitsipas lost at the U.S. Open. Three reasons: Carlos Alcaraz had three different shots that were amazing, which were backhands, forehands, drop shots. And when I say backhands and forehands, I mean baseline play and drop shots. I mean bringing Stefano Tsitsipas off to the net and really making him bewildered and confused with the drop shots that he would incorporate and the times that he would incorporate those said drop shots. And that is how Carlos Alcaraz was able to beat Stefano Tsitsipas, was just being able to be quick on his feet and understanding that the ability to beat Stefano Tsitsipas is being able to construct a point from the baseline out. And that is how Carlos Alcaraz was able to beat Stefano Tsitsipas as being able to construct a point and being more tactical with the way that he was going to be able to do that. And one of the biggest inclinations or one of the biggest signs that I ha- that I knew that Carlos Alcaraz was going to be able to beat Stefano Tsitsipas was when he went up three love in that first set. Right, right from the get-go, you saw a hungry, more poised Carlos Alcaraz that we really haven't seen at the U.S. Open so far. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is going to be at least competitive. I didn't expect him, like, to win, I would say, because, again, like, it's the number three best player in the world right now. Like, Stefano Tsitsipas is the number third player in the world, and for good reason. I mean, he's won at the Lion Open. He's won at Monte Carlo. He's reached the finals of the Barcelona Open. I mean, he's he's been doing pretty well. I mean, obviously, he's had some dark spots here and there. I mean, first-round exit at Wimbledon, but... He's had a pretty good year so far. Uh, 
And Carlos Alcaraz was just that much better. And to give you an understanding as to how much better he was, that last tiebreaker, obviously he won two tiebreakers, Carlos, Al- Carlos Alcaraz, but that last tiebreaker in that fifth set was the most important of the match, was the most important moment of that match. Because not only was it a tiebreaker last set, but also it gave you an understanding as to why he won. All right, there was a drop shot that he incorporated that was pretty good. I don't remember what point that it was. I think it was four two. I think I might be mis- I might I might be mistaken there. But also, he had an impressive return serve, and like an incredible return serve. And and this was like seven of six bosses. Like understand, like seven of six bosses is not a bad server. He's a he's a really good server. And the fact that he's able to return it and get a point out of it, it, it sort of solidified the the idea that Carlos Alcaraz was is a legit player and not only that but that much more better than Stephanos Tsitsipas was on Friday and you know obviously people were talking about and I think one of the reasons why Stephanos Tsitsipas also lost was also because of media focus outside of the tennis world and what I mean by that is by his excessive bathroom breaks you know, when you saw at the Cincinnati Open, Sasha Zverev, you know, complaining to the chair umpire that he brought his, that he brings his phone to the bathroom and gets coaching from his father, or he just takes excessive bathroom breaks that span the like six or seven minutes. And I thought it would be an issue for this match. It wasn't. You know, the longest bathroom break he had was three minutes and 40 seconds. That's okay. Um, and I think all that media scrutiny, all that media attention definitely did play a role and Stefano Sitspas losing. And if the, anything, that was one of the main reasons as to why he lost. No, I'm not going to say it's the main reason, but it's definitely a reason as to why he lost. And I think, you know, I actually like tweeted it. I think that he was going to lo- that he was going to get a bathroom break at the third and the fourth set. It was only the third set, but still a bathroom break nonetheless. Uh, but at no point was it a cause of concern, right? At no point did, was his brought or his bathroom breaks ever a cause of concern and to that credit to his credit i will give stefano Sitsipas his fair due like i think that was a good thing that he did he should have done it sooner than later because it wouldn't have been that big of an issue uh but congrats to stefano Sitsipas on you know sort of minimizing his bathroom breaks and um yeah i think that was a good good thing and, and don't get me wrong, I think Stefano Sitsipas did have a good good match. Don't get me wrong, I think he played great at the net, sometimes, more often than not. Um, he had a high chance of really doing well at the net. And when he got to the net, more often than not, he would succeed. Now, obviously, it would be more on the offensive as opposed to the defensive, because whenever Carlos did have a drop shot, it would go Carlos's way. But... Stefano Sitsipas, when he did go to the net and when he was in possession of the ball and more aggressive with the, uh, with the ball, I thought he did pretty well at the net. And, you know, I think Stefano Sitsipas, while he did lose, he definitely did have a strong showing. And that fourth set was amazing by Stefano Sitsipas. He was able to bagel Alcaraz, but I think it was too little too late. And Carlos Alcaraz was able to make adjustments, was able to, was able to make an audible, and as a result... Uh, he has now not only progressed to the fourth round because he won against his fourth round opponent uh, yesterday on Sunday, but he has also uh, now reached the quarterfinal and now is playing against Felix Auger Al Yassim. So, congrats to Carlos Alcaraz and also congrats to Stefano Sitsipas for just having an amazing match and one of the best matches of the year so far. 
And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with Carlos Alcaraz because I think the entire tennis world, especially at the U.S. Open, are just pulling for him. You know, and that was very visible on Friday. Everybody was just pulling for Carlos Alcaraz. And it was a, it was definite. The, this, the, the amount of love and support for Carlos Alcaraz was just amazing to see. And it, it shows that tennis is in good hands when you have likable people uh, that are playing and are, and are just interested in playing the best that they can against all the odds, even when all the odds are against them. So congrats to Carlos Alcaraz on the win. And hopefully he can, you know, sort of, you know, play the best tennis of his life against Felix Auger Aliassime because FAA uh, from last night's match against Francis Tiafu that will obviously break down uh, did pretty well. So congrats to Carlos Alcaraz, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the future with him. So, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I just wanted to break down that match. Obviously, I know it's like three days old, but I think it's one of the better tennis matches of the year, and I think it would be a crime if I didn't at least discuss it. Um, I remember watching it, and at the end, I was just so elated for uh, Carlos Alcaraz. I, I really did not fathom him winning. At, like... I knew by the second set that he had a good he had a good he had a good ability to at least win it, um, but heading into it, I, I did not at all. So, congrats to Carlos. I, I cannot say that much. I can't I can't say, and I can't say that can't say that enough. Carlos Alcaraz did an amazing job, and I think this is one of those times where. Well, we'll look back in four to five months when everything's over. You know when. When the year's over, I think we'll look back at this match and say, wow, this was this was one of the best matches of the year. It's hard to rank them. Very hard to rank them. I'd say Italian Open, uh, Rafa Novak, French Open, Rafa Novak, uh, Rotterdam, Andre Rublev, um, Madrid Open, Stefano Tsitsipas, Berrettini. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, some, there's a few matches that are in the discussion of top five, top ten. This is definitely in the top five. Uh, all right, let's get into the other match that happened on, on Sunday. Uh, Francis Tiafu versus Auger Aliassim. Auger Aliassim was able to beat Francis Tiafu 4-6, 6-2, 7-6, 6-4. I actually tweeted this out on on Sunday before the match started where I said uh, FAA would beat Tiafu in four sets, and I was right. Uh, I'm not right on a lot of things. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm very wrong on a lot of instances. Um, I, I remember in the in the beginning of this podcast, I said Andre Rublev uh, and Jonik Sinner uh, will win a major this year. Uh, I was dead wrong on that. I'm sorry about that. But uh, actually, I'm not very sorry because it's a prediction. Why would I be sorry about a prediction? Um, but yeah, overall, Ojeda Alcim beat Tiafu. Tiafu is a great tennis player. Great tennis player has some of the best serves I've ever seen on the on the circuit. There are times where he would clock in at 139 against uh, FAA for his first serves. And you would see that in real time at that tiebreaker. You know, I think the tiebreaker really showed uh, just how important serving is, uh, but more importantly, the ability to return serve because both of them held serve throughout the entire runtime of this match, most like basically, uh, especially in that third set. And Francis Diafu, while he did lose, um, really high, like really showcased his serving potential and more importantly um, had that ability to sort of put Auger Aliassime uh, on his feet uh, based off of his serves. And 
You know, there are several times in the match, and it would be a crime if I didn't at least admit that there are several times in this match where FAA's uh, tennis balls fell right out of his pocket, and it often resulted in a let, and Tiafu was really visibly mad at the umpire for, you know, calling it a let at one point, but, you know, it, it sort of swayed in uh, Tiafu's direction with him going up 30-15. I think it was in the second set or third set. I think it was more in the third set. Um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those times where I was like, FAA, you got to keep your balls in your pocket, man. It's it's very important for you to do that. Um, you know, I mean, FAA played exceptionally well and I I could, I could tell that the crowd not being on his side, uh, did not hurt his play whatsoever. It, it probably got into his head, but overall it did not, it did not affect his play whatsoever. He had amazing shots at the baseline while also relying on Tiafu's errors because while Tiafu did have amazing serves, he also had a lot of errors in this match and times where it definitely costed him um, whether it was a point or a game, a set. And uh, that tiebreaker, I think that was a good limits test as to how errors really affected Tiafu's play and really helped out FAA in the long run. And Tiafu really played his best, not only in the first set because, again, you know he won that first set 6-4, uh, but also tiebreaker as well. You know, obviously there are times where you could definitely see parts of his weakness, but, you know, getting the crowd on site during that that tiebreaker was amazing. You know, the crowd was visibly on Tiafu's side, and you could definitely see that uh, in the runtime of this match. And not only that, but more importantly, uh, just his ability to withstand all that and still deliver a pretty nice tennis match. I think that was great on Tiafu's part. And overall, FAA definitely did uh, play his best tennis of the circuit so far, of the of the U.S. Open so far, and now he's going to play against uh, Carlos Alcaraz in the quarterfinal. Uh, I don't know, I forget the name of who Carlos Alcaraz beat because it's just a, such a hard name to like remember. But FAA, uh, congrats to FAA for winning against Tiafu. It stinks that an American lost because I was I was pulling for Tiafu to win, uh, not because like you know FAA is a bad player. I'm, I'm I never said that. It's just because he's American and. You know, part of that Americanness in me still, even though I've stated before that I don't think people really care about if an American, uh, you know, succeeds or not. I still think, in my opinion, that I should at least support um, my American brother. You know, like there's a little bit of patriotism still baked into me, despite everything that the elites have been doing. Uh, I'm off topic. But anyways, uh, going back to FAA. When I see FAA play, it reminds me so much of Novak Djokovic. His stature, the way he's able to have his forehands, his backhands, the way he serves, all of it, his style, all of it just reminds me of like a more young Novak. And a lot of people may not like that, you know, because while Novak Djokovic does have his fans, you know, there are a lot of people that say that Novak Djokovic is not that interesting as a player. But I think... Uh, if you're a person who's very into tennis, like myself, I think you're able to find the beauty within FAA's play, and I, I think it's it's actually quite good to see this happen. You know, I I know it's for a lot of people, for a lot of new newbies, for a lot of newcomers, for a lot of people that are just getting into the sport. It's a little bit ti- it's a little bit tiring to watch his play because it's mostly just rallies, and there's no really like like sort of like I wouldn't say bombastic but there's no sort of sexy flashy way to end a point when you're FAA or Novak but I think their ability to be calculative their ability to find open spaces and tight pockets where they can 
uh, deliver their shots, I think that is where you find the beauty in it. And, you know, FAA is one of these players where he may not, you know, give you that, you know, sexy shot from the baseline. You know, he may not give you a tweener that results in a winner. He may not give you several shots at the baseline that are simply just too overpowering of his opponent. What he can do is be consistent at the baseline, rely on his his opponents on forced errors, and above all, just play more more often than not effortless tennis that sort of exudes the ability to sort of rely on your opponent to screw up. And I think that's one of the t- one of those one of those instances where this this match was one of those instances of that you know of a person that just relied more on his opponent to lose as opposed to him winning, and um, you know congrats to FAA for winning because it it definitely uh, it definitely was that instance uh, of a person that you know just wanted to find any way that he can to win. And FAA was one of those. This is one. This was one of the, one of the instances for FAA where he where he was just able to do it. So, anyways, um, in terms of on the court tennis play, I think that's all I'll be able to talk about. Uh, there were other matches that happened. Uh, Daniel Evans, Daniil Medvedev, uh, Carlos Alcaraz versus that person whose last name I can't pronounce. Uh, but overall, those were the tennis matches that I felt were interesting to me, and I know that a lot of people watching tennis and covering tennis feel the same way um i was alternating honestly i was alternating between francis tiafu faa and cm punk at aew all out because aew all out was a great pay-per-view uh that i still haven't watched the entire entirety of it i'm probably going to watch it later today but overall it was a great pay-per-view a really good pay-per-view and i want to watch it again Uh, or at least just watch it you know uh but I did watch CM Punk's match, so I was alternating between FAA, Tiafu, and watching CM Punk's match versus Darby Allen, and uh, just because I, I think CM Punk is a great wrestler. I'm not into wrestling that much as I was like back in like sixth or seventh grade, but whenever you watch like one of the greats of all time, one of the best of all time, you gotta watch it. And uh, yeah, I had to watch it. Sorry, uh, and but I still watched tennis as well. So, uh, anyways, let's move into news. Off the court, off the court tennis news. Naomi Osaka states on Friday, has said on Friday in a press conference, that she will be taking a break from tennis after Friday's loss. So Naomi Osaka on Friday after a loss to Layla, Annie Fernandez said in a presser that she does not know when she will play her next tennis match and that she will be taking a break from tennis indefinitely. Um, And, you know, she was sort of, she gave this heartfelt um, interaction with the with the press with the press in, in attendance and uh, she decided to leave after saying this um, and this is just my opinion on all of it you know obviously when you detail Naomi Osaka's mental health struggles uh, I feel like my opinion has been a bit more refined than say three four months ago because I was a little bit more I wouldn't say I was like flagrant but I was a little bit more like unfiltered with it and I think that now that I've had time to sit with this news and the more I think about it, I feel like it's it's important for me to at least like discuss it, but in a very sort of understanding way. So this is what I have to say, and hopefully this is... I know this won't be the last time Naomi Osaka will detail her mental health struggles, but hopefully this can be like... This can put the kibosh on it. This is my opinion. She can take 
all the breaks she want. You know, she can take whatever time she needs, a year, two years, four years, five years. She can take all the time she needs to focus on her mental health, you know, a year, two years, whatever long, indefinitely, whatever. But I don't think people should celebrate this, right? I think where I draw the line in the sand is when I see people sort of viewing this and viewing this as a substitute for winning the U.S. Open, which I don't think is good. For me, I think we should celebrate excellence to the highest form. And if the if this was any other person, you know, if this was a Brady, just viewing things outside of tennis, a Brady, a Jordan, a Kobe, or even within the tennis world, a Federer, a Nadal, a Djokovic, I think the tennis world would sort of not be as sort of supportive of it and for good reason because we've seen these players win uh, at the highest form whether it's the olympics or whether it's majors uh whether it's at the davis cup or the labor cup i think we've seen these players win uh at their highest form and we've seen them succeed and i think we are setting ourselves in a dangerous path when we view these players withdrawing from these tournaments as just as high of a form as, say, winning a major or winning a Grand Slam. And for me, I, I just can't support that. You know, I for me, I'll take all the... She can take all the time she wants, you know, two years, four years, five years. But I think we're setting a very negative precedent when we're sort of viewing this in the same vein or in the same, uh, same way as, say, winning U.S. Open or winning a major. And I think this is something that we, we should at least, like, be supportive of but we should never view this as an alternative to succeeding at the highest form and listen i think this is going to be happening more often than not you know it's it pains me to say this but i think more you'll see more and more people decide to withdraw due to, due to mental health reasons and i think you're going to see this sort of relationship with tennis players but more importantly just athletes where working class people just aren't able to identify with them because what are you saying that you need to take a mental health break from your work? I mean, I don't, you know, like, like people who work blue collar jobs don't, they work 60, 70 hours, you know, working in construction or working in a coal mine and no point have they ever decided to take a break for mental health reasons. And believe me, these are the people that have a lot of mentally ill ideas in their head, you know, like these are the people that have suffered a lot in their life. So again, like, this is just my opinion. I'll support her with her mental health, but the idea that people are like are like congratulating her and like like viewing this as like an alternative to winning a major, I think that's a very bad thing. You know, I think for me and what I'll do is that I'll support people that win, regardless of of your sport, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your heritage. I will support you winning because I value excellence. I value the ability to succeed when the pressure is against you, when when you have that short window of opportunity and you can only succeed within that short time frame, when the haters are against you, when, when the naysayers and detractors are pulling against you, and when you're able to withstand from that pr- pressure and be able to deliver when the chips are against you. I will support you for that, but this it's it's hard for me to sort of view this as an alternative to winning to winning Wimbledon or to winning the Olympics or winning just any tournament for that matter. ATP 250, ATP 500. For me, I, I mean, I'll support you. I'll support I'll support your mental health decision and I'll support you taking a break. But I, it's just hard for me to view this in the same vein as say like 
winning a major. And I think that's where I sort of break off from the Naomi Osaka's from the world. You know, for me, I value excellency. I value the ability to win. And, you know, I think we're setting a very dangerous path when we're viewing this as an alternative. So, again, I support her decision to withdraw for mental health. But overall, to see, like, the media and to see people just overly, like, congratulate her and, and to, like, you know, sort of give more news to this than say like on the court news where it's way more important, way more better, way more impactful. I, I don't think that's a good thing. You know, again, I'll support her, but yeah, this winning the U.S. Open in my eyes is way more important than whatever Naomi Osaka is doing. What's happening at the U.S. Open right now, the news stories, the the storylines, all of that is way, way, way more important and way more interesting to me than, you know, Naomi Osaka's mental health struggles. You know, obviously I wish her well. You know, I, I hope she does she does better. Um, but I, I just can't. I can't I can't view this as an alternative. I'm sorry. So all right. Uh, I think I've talked enough about that topic. Uh, I'm a little bit behind, but no worries. We're, we're, we can still go ahead. Uh, Daniel Medvedev speaks up for players who want to come out. I think this is great. Uh, let me just pull up what he said. Um, so basically, I'll just say certain quotes that he said. Honestly, I think from my side, of course, you never know what's true. I, he, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So Daniel Medvedev on Wednesday or on Thursday uh, said that he would, he's in support of the U.S. Open celebrating Pride Day and you know honoring uh, game marriage and whatnot. I thought that was amazing. This was amazing by Daniel Medvedev, uh, where he says, honestly, I, I honestly think from my side, of course, you never know what's true. But from my side, I think everybody who would be super open if somebody would come out on the ATP tour, Medvedev continued. The other question is, is there? Are there any gays on the ATP tour? Again, until somebody comes out, you can you cannot know unless you're in, you're his best friend and you know what he goes through. In my opinion, it's it's going to be just what's the word? Like all the players will be happy for the guy if he does it. That's all I can say. Honestly, I'm very happy that uh, Daniel Medvedev said this because I think you need to understand like his nationality, the country of origin that he's from, and just how important it is for tennis players to, you know, sort of support him. You know, obviously, I don't think it's an obligation for tennis players to speak out on social issues, but when they do, I think it's great. And this is one of those times where I think Daniil Medvedev uh, did the right thing, right? I think, you know, the fact that he's from Russia and Russians traditionally aren't really in favor of social progressive causes, they're not really in favor of gay marriage, to see him succeed, to really see him I almost said succeed. That's how much I've ingrained in my idea of, you know, off the court news equaling the metric of success. But when I see Daniil Medvedev say this, I think this is a good thing overall. And more importantly, uh, you know, hopefully, like, it'll be nice to see more players, you know, sort of uh, be supportive of this because I know tennis, especially men's tennis, uh, does not have the best track record for supporting uh, gay people within the ATP tour or just within tennis in general, you know, more often times than not, it's more the women's circuit who who have done an impressive job, of, actually a phenomenal job when it comes to sort of supporting gay people. I mean, you see Martina Navratilova, you've seen all these sort of tennis players that have been viewed as like beacons of of not only success, but uh, not only not only of success, but just influence within the tennis world. 
especially within women's tennis or specifically within women's tennis. But when it comes to men's tennis, I feel like you're seeing a lot more people that are not that supportive of gay marriage. So when you see Daniel Mavita really, you know, talking about U.S. Open Pride, I think that's a great thing. And yeah, I think more important tennis players, again, it's not your job to speak out on social issues, but it doesn't hurt, you know, especially if it helps out your stock, you know. I don't think it's their job to speak out on it because at the end of the day, uh, if you're not understanding of the context, if you're not understanding of what's going on, I think it's best for you not to speak out on it or speak up on it. Uh, but it's happy. It makes me happy when I see decisions like this make, uh, or when I see uh, statements like this happen and transpire. You know, because again, you have to understand that he's from Russia. Uh, Russians are not that favorable of gay marriage and gay people uh apparently like you get you like gay people and i'm pretty sure straight couples also go through this but you can't even hold hands in russia uh even if you're like straight i think uh so yeah it's a very sort of socially culturally repressed life that they live in russia so but anyways it's great to see daniel mevedo speak out and it sort of makes me happy because it makes me realize just how much progress we made in just a decade and what, what I mean by that is, like, when you see Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in the 2008 Democratic debates say that a marriage is only between a man and a woman and that they're against gay marriage, and you when you see, you know, Bill Clinton sign the Defense of Marriage Bill in, like, the late 90s, when you see Joe Biden's comments on gay marriage in the 2000s, you know, when you see, you know, just how much gay people have suffered you know, and like just in like the early 2000s, like they still suffer today, but like in the early 2000s, it was like rampant, you know, to see like the amount of change and the amount of progress we made in just that short time span, it only gives me hope that we can even make more progress in the future. I mean, think about it, like 10, 15 years ago, we were arguing about gay marriage. Now we're arguing if like trans people can go to the same bathroom as us. Like we've made a lot of progress. I know there's a lot of hardship in the world, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, inequality, economic inequality is at its all-time high, you know, we have, you know, Bill Gates making health decisions for the 99%, you know, we, we have a lot that's wrong in our current society, we have Amazon, you know, making their employees piss in bottles, you know, there's a lot that's wrong in, in today's world. You know, we have, P, we have Pfizer and Moderna telling people to get vaccinated even if their doctor has decided not to tell or has decided to tell their patient not to get vaccinated you know we're making mandatory vaccine passports which is a repudiation of the bill of rights and the constitution there's a lot that's wrong in this world a lot but to see comments like this it just shows you the importance of how they're still good in this world and daniel mevedev really uh really exuded that with his press conference and with his comments so uh Congrats to, uh, you know, Daniel Medvedev for what he had to say because, um, you know, it's just it is important to like hear this from tennis players, you know. And again, I think the more the merrier, you know. There's a reason why a lot of sports athletes don't come out, you know. And believe me, there are a lot of sports athletes, especially in like football uh, and basketball, that are in the closet but have yet to come out. Uh, believe me, a lot, a lot. Uh, you would be surprised to see like certain people that are actually gay within basketball and football. But uh, yeah, that's neither here nor there. All right. Um, let's get into the next topic. I thought that was, this was a little bit interesting to see 
Um, Candace Owens uh, has been in the news recently, last Wednesday, last Thursday, uh, be basically because she wanted to get a COVID test and the company that issues COVID tests decided not to give her a COVID test because of her political affiliation. So I'm just getting this from the email. Uh, this is from Susanna Lee of, I don't know, I, I think she blurred out, blurred it out. I'm getting this from her, from her Instagram story, but this was an email that Susanna Lee uh, once sent to Candace Owens. I've just learned of this testing request, and as the owner of this business, I'm going to refuse this booking and deny service. We cannot support anyone who has proactively worked to make this pandemic worse by by spreading misinformation, politicizing and discouraging the wearing of masks, and actively dissuading people from receiving life-saving vaccinations. The only other local testing option is the free kiosk by City Hall. They mail their test to, te- uh, to Texas and have inconsistent result times. Do not take appointments, uh, so it's walk and only middle mid midday weekend weekdays in their back alley. My team and myself have worked over time to exhaustion, unpaid, underpaid this past year, spending our own capital to ensure that our community remains protected. It would be unfair to them and to the sacrifices we have all made this year to serve you, Susanna. All right, so this is my opinion on on all this. Uh, a lot of conservatives conservatives are mad saying that he can't discriminate against people with opposing political viewpoints and with an opposing political ideology. I'm with them. You know, I think conservatives are really right on this. Uh, but it's weird how this same group, just four or five years ago, were saying that bake shop owners had the ability to refuse to make a cake for a gay couple. Right? Remember four or five years ago, this was back when like the libertarian debates were like all about gay wedding cakes and Gary Johnson saying how he how people should bake the cake. It's weird when to see Republicans who are in support of all that say that, oh no, you have to give service to somebody with an opposing political ideology. It shows the hypocrisy in their messaging, and more importantly, it's hard for me to really support you when I see the blatant hypocrisy when it comes to private businesses denying service based on political ideology. In my opinion, I think they should have given Candace Owens service, but the reasoning, in my opinion, is actually pretty good, in my opinion. I think they were uh, focused on giving people within their own community COVID testing, and I think Candace Owens, the the person that she, or the company that she wanted to get the COVID test from, I don't think she recognized the idea or the fact of the matter uh, that, you know, this company supports people within their own community. And I feel like if she went to a different COVID uh, testing service, I think it would be a lot more better. And I think that's where the confusion lies, where I think Candace Owens really wanted to have some form of COVID testing. And, you know, she just thought that any COVID, you know, testing service could adequately supply her. But again, you have to realize that the community that you're from is just as important, if not more important than some random celebrity asking for COVID testing. So um, that's just my overall opinion on it. I think, obviously, I don't think people should deny service. I don't think businesses should should deny service from anyone uh, for because of, uh, you know, what they have to say or whatnot. Um, but based off what they have to say or based off their reasoning behind why they're not giving Candace Owens testing, I think this is one of those instances where I understand where the business is coming from. Uh, Again, like when you see that last paragraph, you know, 
when when you see how they're trying to ensure that their community remains protected and how it would be unfair to them and the sacrifices they have made all all year, I think that is a good uh, reasoning as to why they would deny service from, Can- from Candace Owens. You know, again, that first paragraph, again, like we can argue the semantics of it, the, the specifics of it. Um, I think in, in this time frame, it doesn't really make any sense to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. That's just my opinion. I think if you're vaccinated, if you are healthy, and we'll obviously we'll get into Joe Rogan in a second because that's the meat and potatoes of the podcast in terms of news outside of tennis. Uh, but I think that if you're uh, healthy, if you're taking vitamin D, because I know vitamin D is very important. Uh, if you're healthy, if you're taking vitamin D, if you got your vaccinations, it really makes no sense to really wear a mask unless if you're trying to like help out your the elderly, like 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. I would un- I would understand if you're wearing a mask because of that, but if you're if you're with your friend group and you're if you're all healthy, if you're all you know eating adequate portion sizes, if you're working out, if you're remaining active and getting your vitamin D, whether whether it's from the sun or whether you're taking tablets or uh, you know taking uh, daily tablets about it, I think you have nothing to worry about the virus. Just my opinion. Uh, I'm sure the medical community, the science community will say, no, 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 you need to take the vaccine. You need to take the booster shot. You need to take this and the that and the da 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 At the end of the day, I feel like if you're healthy, if you got your vaccinations, um, the mask doesn't really benefit you. I, I don't think so. That's just my opinion. Um, you know, it's not fact, you know, so don't flag me for spreading misinformation. That's just my opinion. Uh, I think at this point, everybody's done with it. And when you see those college football games that happen on Saturday with everybody, especially at the University of Wisconsin doing jump around, uh, I think everybody is done with it as well, especially parents at elementary schools, because I see a lot of parents, you know, and for good reason, you know, going to their school board meetings and saying that masks do not help children and that how we need to end this mask insanity because it takes away from their childhood, which I fully vehemently 100% agree with. I think all of this will just result in people just ditching the mask. I think there will be a certain subset of people that want to politically posture and want to show that they're liberal and will wear the mask. But overall, I, th- I think, especially kids my age, we're done. We're done with this. It, it's over for us. I mean, you, you can put all the restrictions you want, all the mask mandates in the world, but... I know in Boston, they say that unless you're having a beverage or, you know, eating something that you don't have to wear a mask. So I want to be having a beverage with me at all times. Like, screw all, screw all the masks. Like, I'll find any, if not every, loophole to not wear a mask because we're in America. We value freedom. You know, we fought this country over the ability to not get taxed and the ability to gain freedom and I want to live up to the founding fathers. You know, not all the not all of what the founding fathers fought for, because obviously, you know, a lot of them were slave owners, which it's a good thing we've passed that hurdle. Uh, but I'm not wearing a mask, man. You know, and if I'm forced to wear a mask, then I'm gonna find each and any loophole to not wear one, because it's it's dumb. You know, it it really is dumb. I'm doing well. You know, like like I'm taking my vitamins, you know, I'll, you know, have, you know, a bottle of water so it looks like I'm drinking something or, you know, have some pizza with me so that it looks like I'm eating something because apparently, like, if you're eating something or if you're drinking something, you don't have to wear a mask in Boston. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing that for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future and uh, no one can really stop me for that. So, 
All right. Uh, where am I time-wise? Oh, not that bad. Okay. Uh, all right. Joe Rogan in the news saying that he's got COVID. Uh, he or that he got COVID and that ivermectin cured it on Wednesday. I'll just give you a little bit of a rundown as to what happened. Rogan say that he got COVID and could not do shows because of COVID. He had to cancel his uh, Nashville show with Chappelle uh, because of COVID. He said uh, that Sunday was a really bad day for COVID. But it got uh, it got less and less over time, and by Tuesday it was completely fine. Uh, he said he tried everything uh, in the medicine cabinet, tried the Prozac, tried uh, you know tried everything. He said ivermectin treated it really well, and you know liberals freaked out about it. They're like, "How are you trying horse dewormer? What are you doing, Joe Rogan? Why are you anti-science?" Oh, it was so nauseating to see everybody like wish death on a person that does not agree with them 100% on politics. It, it was very, very sad to see people believe in that, you know. And again, like, I want to say, like, I know ivermectin is in the news, and I've been sort of cautious with ivermectin, you know, sometimes certain podcast episodes, when new information comes out, I'm like, maybe take ivermectin, or maybe not take ivermectin, or, hey, maybe ivermectin's an alternative, I don't know. I've, I've never really been, like, very confident with ivermectin i'll be quite honest with you at all like but you know when i see like liberals get mad at people who take ivermectin at the end of the day like their excuse for it is saying that oh it's for horses but it's like you do realize there are drugs that are both used for animals and for humans right like there have been drugs that have been approved by the fda mind you that have been used for animals and for humans and again i don't want to get into you know obviously you know brett weinstein has been promoting it for the past few months and you know again like honestly like i'm on the fence of ivermectin like for me i got vaccinated so i don't really care about ivermectin um but if it helps you hey why not take it you know like at the end of the day if it doesn't hurt you it can only help you you know so that's one of those things where, like, what I realized about, you know, Rogan getting COVID is that I saw so many people wishing death upon him. And that was a very sad thing because as Dave Smith, comic Dave Smith at Twitter, uh, tweeted out, great dude, go listen to him, part of the Problem Podcast, libertarian anarcho-capitalist. So there are certain things I agree with him, certain things I don't. Uh, but overall, he had a great tweet where he said, for during COVID, when everybody was telling you to stay inside, wipe down your groceries, and eat till till you get out of it, Joe Rogan was telling you to take your vitamins, work out, be healthy, and live an active, healthy lifestyle. And I thought that was a great tweet that summed up just how hypocritical those in power, those in media, those in the establishment view Joe Rogan, because a lot of media outlets were wishing death upon Joe Rogan. I thought that was a very disgusting thing to see. And do I think Joe Rogan took ivermectin? He probably did. In my opinion, I think he took Regeneron. I, I think he took Regeneron because, again, he makes he ha, he got a, like a $100 million Spotify deal. You know, he's a part of the elite. Whether he likes it or not, he's a part of the elite, and he's able to get access to medication that the average working-class person does not is not able to get. And in my opinion, I think, or just in my case, I think he took Regeneron because, again, he said he was feeling completely fine by Tuesday. All right, and I've heard from Regeneron that Regeneron is actually 
makes you feel better overnight. You know, apparently Donald Trump, as soon as he got Regeneron after getting COVID, you know, he felt better than he, he has ever felt in like the past 10 years. So again, Regeneron uh, seems like the option that Joe Rogan took and he's only using ivermectin to saying that just to like rally support for like alternative medicines and not say the vaccination. You know, that's just my opinion for it. If I had to guess what really happened. So yeah, this is just my opinion on it all. Uh, Joe Rogan, I'm happy that he's feeling better. I think we need him more than ever. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you see people go after Joe Rogan, it, it just shows just how dogmatic their views are and just how partisan their views are. And I don't think that's a good thing at all. I, I think when you when you wish death on somebody for giving an alternative to vaccinations, I, I think you are trash, and I think you need to rethink your life. I really do. I, I if you if you wish death on somebody who is not with you a hundred percent politically, I think you're a trash human being, and you need to rethink everything that you've ever done because that's not a way. That's not a good way to go about life. It really isn't, because Joe Rogan has a lot more in common with you than say your boss or say people that you work with, because there are a lot of people that you may work with. Uh, and especially your boss or the CEO of your company that you may not align with politically, right? Like you can't be working at a private defense firm and then say to yourself, oh, what Joe Rogan is doing is 100% wrong and worse than what my company is doing. You can't be saying that. You, it's physically impossible to say that. You, know, you really can't. The mental gymnastics you have to put yourself through to justify that reasoning I, I can't even fathom how much you have to do to, to like really justify that thought process because what Joe Rogan's doing is kind of normal, honestly. So, I mean, he's, he's basically saying common sense things, you know, work out, eat healthy, you know, um, you know, obviously take the vaccine if you want to take the vaccine. If you don't, you don't. But the idea of having a vaccine passport is authoritarian or in Orwellian, in Orwellian, which I think everybody should agree with, you know, I think it, what he's saying is pretty much common sense, you know? Anyways, I was just, I was just sad to see the reaction to him, you know? But anyways, let's, let's move on to something more hysterical. Lil Nas X is expecting a baby due September 17th. Through People Magazine released on Friday, Lil Nas X, like, uh, had a picture of him with a baby bump, and he said that his baby will be due September 17th. And this is hilarious, because when I saw the bump, I was on the floor. It was hilarious. I was laughing, dying laughing, crying laughing. And a lot of people were mad and outraged by it. A lot of conservatives, uh, a lot of people on the internet were mad at him. Um, a lot of gangster rappers were mad at him. And honestly, like, this is how I view Lil Nas X. He's just the liberal version of Takashi 69 He's a troll, but a very funny troll. And I think that a lot of people conservatives, you know, Christian conservatives, uh, gangster rappers who are having a very similar thought process to Christian conservatives, I think they need to view Lil Nas X in the same vein as, say, a Takashi 69 And it's very interesting to see, like, gangster rappers who are in favor of violence, drug use, gang banging, who are in favor of murder and, you know, messing around with other people's wives and girlfriends who are, have a high hat and are saying like, or are now like on this high horse and saying that what Lil Nas X is doing is bad for children. 
I think it's kind of hilarious to see gangster rappers do this because what Lil Nas X is doing is just trolling people, and he's just saying that he's just you know, uh, you know, poking fun at the absurdity of a man getting pregnant. That's all that he's doing, and what gangster rappers are doing is it's actually like ten times if not a hundred times worse than what Lil Nas X is doing. Like, like I'm sorry, like murder, drug use, violence, especially now with cocaine being laced with fentanyl. I mean, that's all bad, you know, and, and that's way worse than what Lil, Nas X, what Lil Nas X is doing. Now, having said all that, I can admit that Lil Nas X is the best asset for the CIA. Because man, oh man, like he's getting paid overtime for what he's doing. Like every every progressive cause that the CIA wants to propagate, they're just going to go through Lil Nas X and make Lil Nas X like the soldier to like get all the wounds and bullet wounds and all the all the bloodshed and whatnot like whenever the cia wants to do something progressive or wants to like propagate a progressive cause all they need to do is put a little nas x through it and he'll just do it and abide by it because it does seem like little nas x represents the cia it really does like everything that he does is done to the t it feels like he has an understanding of the internet i mean he was like a Nicki minaj stand like yeah like a Nicki minaj stand account so it feels like the cia picked him and sort of like propagated him propagated him up to sort of re- relay progressive causes. Now, that's just my conspiracy brain going on, you know. It may be true, it may not be true, but that's just where I'm heading at, you know. Uh, that's just my opinion on all, all of it. I think what he's doing is hilarious, and I think people shouldn't take it seriously. And when you see Boozy Badass go after Lil Nas X, I think it's just hilarious to see, like, a fully grown man get outraged by what, like, like a, a kid is doing like because Lil Nas X is still a kid he's still like in his 20s early 20s so it, it's weird to see like grown men like get mad at like this kid for just like trolling people and just having fun uh so yeah it, it's it's cool it, it's I wouldn't say it's cool wrong word chase OJ but it's hilarious to see the absurdity of what Christian conservatives and gangster rappers are actually agreeing upon because you would think that they would like disagree based off what happened in the 90s and whatnot in terms of censoring art and rap. And um, yeah, it's just weird. Weird to see this sort of crossfold go on. So uh, yeah, it's funny. And if you're a comedian, you should only laugh at this as well. Uh, I am too. So all right, let's get into my weekly pick. So every week I recommend a piece of art, a film, a book, a movie, uh, an album that I think... That I think is great. That I think you guys will love as well. And sorry, <laughs> I choked on my own spit. Sorry. Uh, and the weekly pick that I'll have, the podcast recommendation that I'll have for today's weekly pick, will be Mark Norman's Out to Lunch. It's a great special released last year, uh, before COVID, around like or during when COVID was at its all-time high, March fourteenth, fifteenth. He decided to release it on YouTube. And this is one of my favorite specials I've ever watched. And this is definitely the best special of 2020. Um, it's just a great time. It was just a great time to release it because everybody was at home. You know, they were stuck, you know, on their computer. And the fact that he's able to release it when everybody was on their computer uh, and just digital as well. It was just great for him to, like, really get his comeuppance and get his credit for for just releasing a special. That's amazing. And that's great. One of my favorite jokes was when he was talking about how he... When he was 17, he did he dated 17-year-olds, but he doesn't date 17-year-olds anymore. But now, as he gets older, you know, he still drinks grape juice, even though he drank grape juice as a 17-year-old. And how, like, 
you know, he was like, sort of like talking about molestation and whatnot. Again, I'm butchering the joke, but go watch it if you haven't. Uh, it's a great joke, well formulated. And Mark Norman has this uncanny ability to have like a very sort of methodical approach to crafting a joke where, where he'll have a premise, have a setup, and then the joke will end with an analogy. And he sort of says this in like the sort of, I don't know if it's a character because he has this sort of like used car, car salesman character that he has like this vernacular of whenever he performs. And it reminded me of like a Anthony Jeselnik, but in terms of a more like, Anthony Jeselnik is like a little bit more brash, a little bit more like cold and harsh when it comes to his joke delivery. But with Mark Norman, it, it's, you sort of feel like sort of a little bit of a warmth, a little bit more of a, of a sincere vibe to it. And I would sort of view Mark Norman in that same category as, say, like a Jesselnik. You know, a person that may or may not be playing a character, but has these amazing, and a lot more importantly, a bit, a bit more importantly, a bit more methodical way to approach a joke. And that's what, you know, this special entails. You know, Mark Norman being methodical, being meticulous with the way that he's able to craft these jokes and just go for the throw whenever it comes to these subject matters that are often dark and you know, maybe sort of, you know, disgusting, but still funny regardless. And I think Mark Norman does an amazing job, an impeccable job at delivering uh, his material to this audience. And I can't recommend this enough. Mark Norman's Out to Lunch, an amazing special, one of the best joke writers of this generation. And I've rewatched it over this weekend, and I think you guys will love it as well. So Mark Norman's Out to Lunch on YouTube. I'll put a link, YouTube link in the description box below if you haven't checked it out. If you haven't checked it out already, or, or, I can't speak today. If you haven't checked it out already, go check it out. You will not be disappointed. All right, I think that's where I'll end it off for today. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you uh subscribe to my podcast channel my podcast clips channel if you're on itunes make sure you rate review subscribe and if you are on whatsapp make sure you spread the word on whatsapp as well so guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening i don't think i'll be uh uploading a podcast this week another podcast episode instead i'll be breaking down the quarterfinals and the semifinals of the us open and obviously the finals as well so make sure you stick out for that I'll probably release it all on Wednesday uh, and on Friday as well for the semifinals and finals for, for Sunday. So that's the timetable. I'll probably put it on my podcast clips channel. Uh, so definitely subscribe to that if you haven't already. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys later this week on my podcast clips channel where I'll be talking about the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final of the U.S. Open men's singles. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.